0: and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to iwanttogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or iwanttogarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who has an epic story to share. We're talking with Lynn McMahon about her century old family urban farm. Lynn lives with her husband Mike and their Walker coonhound on their family's 128 year old urban farm homestead, bought by her husband's great grandfather in 1890 on the outskirts of town. They are in their fourth generation living in the house and growing food on a small city lot. They've raised four children and now with eight grandchildren visiting, the sixth generation is connected to the very same land. Welcome to the show today, Lynn. Are you ready to rock the urban homestead?
1: I am ready to rock the homestead. Thank you, Greg.
0: Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Sure. Actually, when my husband and I bought the house, we bought it from my husband's mother who inherited it. The house had been passed on through the family. And my intention was we were going to live here for, you know, five, 10 years, build our dream home out in the country and pass the house on. Mm-hmm. And 35 years later,
0: wow! I'm
1: still living here, <laughs> still dreaming of the country, but I'm very happy where I am right now.
0: Perfect. So you talked about it when he bought it in 1890. It was on the outskirts of town. And now you're not quite on the outskirts of town anymore, I suspect.
1: No. Actually, when my husband's great-grandfather bought the land, this was considered the country out in the boondocks. And right now, we are pretty much in the central city, and there is very little green space around here. Lots of houses that were built when our house was built, Mm -hmm. city park behind our house, and It's just amazing what's happened in 128 years.
0: Oh, no kidding. So it must be an interesting story having really grown up in the space because you've known the space your entire life. Tell us about that.
1: Well, when my husband and I met, this was back in the 70s, I was living out in the boondocks. I was born in Milwaukee, came to Union Grove. And when we got married, I came to the city here with my husband. And the whole time we were dating and I knew him, we came to the house here. His grandma had lived here. He would come and cut the grass. We'd do some weeding, help her around the house here. So this house has been part of my life for 41 years.
0: That's a long time. Yeah. So let's talk about the house and how it was built.
1: When my husband's great-grandfather bought the homestead, it was in 1890. And he had bought the land from a farmer. I guess they were called a bachelor farmer for whatever reason back in the day. Uh-huh. And this was actually a subdivision. And he sold off blocks of the land in this subdivision. And my husband's great-grandfather bought the land where our house now sits and the house to the north of us. The house to the south of us was purchased by a Catholic church. And the priest from that church actually lived in that house until our neighbors bought it. And in 1908, I actually still have the land contract and the business contract, which is written on one piece of paper (laughs) that says, I can actually read it to you what the contract was. He paid $600 for the land parcel, which is 155 feet by 66 feet.
0: About a third of an acre.
1: And when he bought that, when my husband's grandmother got married, they built the house to the north of us. And they lost that house during the Depression. So they moved back here into our house. Mm -hmm. And when the original house, the house where we live right now, was purchased for $1,746.23, I believe. It cost to build their house because great-grandpa had extras put in our house.
0: For a little over $1,000, he got extras.
1: Well, for $43, he got extras, actually. Wow. He made two payments. I can send you actually the pictures of the contract if you care to see them. It's unbelievable that this is just a basically a handwritten note. Uh-huh. He made three payments for the house, and on the final payment, it shows there was extras for a furnace stack, sliding doors, which were between our living room and our Dining room, which I guess you would call them French doors.
0: French doors, yeah.
1: They're no longer here anymore. And he paid $3.50 for a border and our wood floor in the living room and the dining room. And we actually still have the original floors in our house, which we refinished.
0: Wow, how incredible is that? You've lived in this place for a very long time, so tell me about your food story around this.
1: The food story, it's really not so much a food story in the beginning, how it started. When we would come here to visit Grandma, and then when my husband's mom would come here, we have a lilac bush in our yard that has been here for, my mother in law said, as long as she could remember. And when she passed away eight years ago, she was 92 years old, and this tree is still blooming in our yard. Wow. So every year, when winter comes, we go out there, we knock the snow down to keep it going and try to keep new branches forming. And a couple of years ago, I decided to make some lilac jelly out of the blossoms on our tree. And I've been doing that for a couple, three years now. And I remember grandma had peony bushes and they were growing into our yard now because our neighbor's had a fence up so it kind of took over and he kept mowing the grass and the peony bushes died there were hollyhocks here But the food part of it was grandma had a very small vegetable garden, which Uh was right next to our garden shed, which is the original garden shed that we've just taken care of. She grew tomatoes and very basic vegetables. They had a victory garden. We have pictures of my father-in-law when he would come here with my mother-in-law. And it was just a neat story of how things got growing around here. It wasn't so much grandma did a lot of gardening here, Mm -hmm. but the little bit that she did, we tried to maintain. But the lilac tree is always a very, special thing to me because that was really setting roots on this property. I have a very soft spot in my heart for that tree because it's just been here forever. Yeah, And I make my food out of it.
0: Cool. So tell me about your garden.
1: My garden actually this year my husband built me some raised beds. When we moved here initially we had a couple beds but I had small kids and they kept running into them and pulling things out and then the dog would run in them. So about five years ago my husband put up a fence. Around my garden. He built me three new raised bed gardens, and I kind of went a little crazy this year with the grandkids because they wanted to help Nani plant. So we have corn, several kinds of tomato plants, we have green beans, lots of herbs, flowers, cabbage, we have cauliflower, berries, and there's a story about the berries too. Tell me. Because my side of the family is also rooted in this house. My dad got some raspberry bushes probably 40-plus years ago on a job site he was working, and the people said, if you want them, you can take them. So he dug the raspberries up, he planted them in his yard, And when we moved here, when we bought the house, I took raspberries from his house, planted them in our yard, and they're still alive, gave some to the neighbors. So every year I make raspberry jelly, or we make raspberry preserves, we make salads with raspberries, and the grandkids are picking the berries that I picked when I was a kid.
0: Wow. How cool is that? You've just threaded it throughout many generations of your family.
1: Yep. Both sides of our family are deeply rooted in this house. Mm -hmm. Flowers that came from my parents' house, that came from my grandmother's house in Milwaukee, still bloom here. I have daylilies, and it's just a special place. And I didn't realize that this was going to be our halfway house between where the green grass grows. And it's very emotional.
0: Oh, I can get it. When I
1: think that I almost wanted to leave here and start something new when I think of all the memories that this house has.
0: Well, it's different when you've lived in a place for a very long time. I've actually lived here at the Urban Farm for 29 years. That's over half of my life. It's different than, you know, having lived, you know, five years here, three years here. Right. It gets us deeply rooted in the space.
1: Yep, that's for sure. Yeah. And my kids feel the same way, and now my grandkids.
0: Nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Who do you suppose will be living in your house as time travels on?
1: Well, my oldest granddaughter keeps telling me, "Nanny and Papa, when you move, we're going to move into your house.
0: Nice. How old is she?
1: She's 12. Oh, good. Mm -hmm.
0: So how on earth did you get involved in the county fair?
1: It started... When I actually was a kid growing up out in the county, I did belong to 4-H for one year. I exhibited a guinea pig, which really isn't something you would think would be something that a county kid would do, more like a city kid. Uh That's what I did. And it was a fun experience, and it was a learning experience. And then I thought, well, maybe we'll see what happens when I get older. But I got to be a teenager and kind of fell to the side of the road. So after I got married... I started taking my kids to the county fair. My parents lived practically across the street from the fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. So we went every year and I'd look at all the exhibits and maybe someday I'll do it again. And I talked to one of the superintendents there and She said, you know, you come every year, you look at the exhibits. Why don't you come in, bring something? It's like, well, I don't know. I live in the city. I have, you know, a little tiny garden, but I do like to grow herbs. And she said, well, we have a place that herbs are entered. Why don't you just try to bring your herbs next year? So I went back the next year, brought in my little bunch of herbs, and I actually got first place, which kind of got the wheels turning. Uh And I thought, well, if I can do it with herbs, maybe we'll try something else. So I went back the next year. I had some little hot peppers and a few other little garden things brought them in. And she said, you know, we're always looking for helpers here, and you seem to know enough about vegetables. Why don't you come and join us and be a superintendent in the vegetable department? Wow. So, 21 years later, this girl from the city to the county to the city is a superintendent at the county fair that she went to when she was a kid and brought her kids and now my grandkids.
0: How cool is that? So, what does the superintendent at the county fair do?
1: Well, it's a glorified volunteer job. Uh-huh. What you do at the county fair is every year, the Saturday before the fair, we have a cleanup where we go in there, we clean out the barns and the buildings, get them ready for the fair, we decorate the buildings, we have a meeting, discuss our hopes and dreams, what's going to happen at the fair for that year, and the Tuesday before the fair actually starts. We go in there, set everything up, people bring their exhibits in. Actually, it's the Monday. They changed it to Tuesday now. So we get everything ready for all the exhibitors to come, bring their things in, make sure everything's put in its place. We walk around with the judge and put ribbons on the items. We go through all of the exhibitors. And at the end, we have what is called a outstanding exhibitor. And that's the person who has the most exhibits that come in that get blue or red ribbons. And then we pretty much just come back at the end of the fair. We clean out the barns. We have a get together dinner.
0: You're a volunteer judge in this space.
1: Actually, we're not a judge. We have nothing to do with the judge. We have to walk around and be quiet, which is extremely hard when you have exhibits that are being exhibited and you can't say anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like very pressure-filled couple of hours that were there.
0: Yeah. So how did you end up naming your homestead farm?
1: Well, we named it after my husband's great-grandpa, Grover Family Homestead. But then there's like our little version of where the green grass grows. That's what I called it. Like the kid song, Green Grass Grows All Around. Oh, yeah. But as I got older, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tim McGraw song, like I had talked about in the past, it's kind of what I was thinking, well, someday I'm going to live where the green grass grows. And I realized that maybe this house where I'm living right now, this is where my green grass grows. Maybe this is going to be it. It's not going to be out in the county somewhere. What I could have did when I lived out in the county right here in the pretty much inner city, central city of Racine.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: And the song kind of is my life sort of in reverse, because I don't know if you're familiar, but the words in the song are, he came from a place that was a map dot on a blacktop. And they had a stop sign, which is exactly what I had when I was a young girl growing up. Uh-huh. And now he's in the city, and he's tired of the glitter, and he doesn't know who his neighbors are. And I kind of feel that way, and I thought, well, that's why we'll call it that, too. Just because this is maybe going to be where the green grass grows. Maybe there isn't another homestead for me, but we have so much tied into this house. We have trees that my husband and I planted for special occasions. And like I told you before, the raspberries that came from my parents' house, the flowers that came from grandma's house. So there's just a whole lot of me in this house now and my family.
0: A whole lot of life. Yes, indeed. So I want you to think back over the past few decades. Was there one thing that happened that just really informed you or really showed you that, yes, this is absolutely where I need to be?
1: There's actually a couple of things, and they're related to stories that actually happened in this house and just things that you don't hear anymore. My mother-in-law was born in our living room, Wow. She had stories of when she was a kid that her and her brother, she had a brother. They had to separate him because I believe it was during the influenza of 1918. Mm -hmm. They kept the kids separated and she would tell me stories. She would be living downstairs and her brother would be living upstairs with grandpa and grandma. And they would pass suckers and candy and food underneath the door between our kitchen and the upstairs. You know, just silly little stories like that. And just so many memories and... I had a story, actually a funny but not funny story, relating also to the county fair a couple years ago. I had gotten locked out of the house, Uh and I had to crawl over the fence to get to the county fair because I was expected to be there, and I got hung up on the fence, and I ended up getting 16 stitches. I've never had stitches in my life because I got stuck on my fence. My kids had to come and get me. So I actually have blood, sweat, and tears in this house on my fence. (laughs) wow yeah i mean there's really too many memories in this house to just try to really pinpoint one but i don't know i just feel like my heart is here
0: yeah well one of the things i really want to point out and you've shared multiple times in our chat so far is how the grass isn't greener out there the grass is greener right where you're at and living in the moment seems to really nurture your soul
1: absolutely and another thing my grandkids I spent time with my kids here, but I really, over the last probably 15 years, understand how important it is to pass things on and to make memories with your kids and now my grandkids. And there's so much to share in this house. It's funny, you know, we have stories of taking my kids the last few years, the grandkids out in the yard, and I'm picking lilacs for the jelly, or we're picking dandelions out of the yard. And I'm sure people are driving by and neighbors and wondering, what is this crazy lady doing picking weeds and putting them in a bucket. And I really, over the last 15 years, I would say, realized how important family and memories and a homestead like we have here is, how unique and special it is that a lot of people don't have that.
0: Yeah, well, amen to that. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. I think
1: that kind of goes back to my thinking 15 years ago. You know, when we first lived here, I don't think I had a true meaning of how special this place was. And I had, you know, garden variety of flowers that I grew here and a couple little plants and, you know, tried to keep up with the grass and the whole not do weeds. I mean, I never did the roundup thing, but trying to make this place something that it wasn't. And now when I go in my backyard and I see my dandelions and I see the wild violets and I see the clover growing in the grass that my husband's family planted, it's just, I wished I would have thought of that and put more into it years ago. So I kind of feel the first... 20 years maybe that I lived here, you know, 15 years. I missed so much opportunity, things I could have grown and different memories I could have made here instead of worrying about, oh, is my grass green enough and growing flowers instead of vegetables and realizing that being a farmer and being a country girl doesn't mean you have to live on 50 acres of land. You can live on your little tiny city lot and you're still a country girl because you cannot take the country out of the girl. (laughs)
0: There you go. What do you consider your biggest success?
1: I think my biggest success would be my children and my grandkids and my grandkids especially now are really starting to understand the importance of taking care of the earth, taking care of your family. I have a little ceramic dish that I sit out that I put all my compost stuff in and my little grandkids will come up to me and they'll say Nani, do we put this in the trash or is this for the compost pile? So they're starting to learn the difference of composting and taking care of the earth and I think they're going to understand how important and taking care of the earth is, and taking care of your homestead is. And I feel that that's my biggest success is that they are going to grow up with a different perspective than a lot of kids are nowadays.
0: Yeah, how much truth there is to that. So what drives you?
1: Well, there again, I sound like a broken record, but I think it's my family. And I think wanting to share with people different social issues about food and families. And I just want to be an example. When somebody walks past my house and they see that I have tomato plants in my front yard, just a few because we have construction, but they walk into my backyard and they just can't believe that one person in the city can do this. And I said, it's easy. It just starts with a pack of seeds. (laughs) Dig a place in your soil Uh or get a planter box or a potted plant container and just start with that. Just start with some seeds. And knowing that I'm at least making a difference in my grandkids, that's what drives me. Just keep trying to do more and educate them on how important our environment and family is.
0: Beautiful. So I know this next question is a hard one for you, but can you recommend one book for our listeners? What would it be and why?
1: I'm going to just give you a couple. I'm sorry. No, that's all good. The book that really got me started, I read Henry David Thoreau's Walden. Mm -hmm. And when I got my own place here, Rodale's all-new Encyclopedia of Organic Gardening, I bought that in 1992. That really kind of got me on the bandwagon, a little bit at a time. Took little bits that I could handle at a time. Uh And then after I had my kids and my grandkids, I would suggest any books by Sharon Lovejoy. She has Hollyhock Days, Sunflower Houses, Roots, shoots, buckets, and boots. Wow. A Blessing of Toads, Toad Cottages and Shooting Stars, and Trowel and Error. And I use those books with my kids and now my grandkids. I can't explain it. She's just very earth-friendly and kid-friendly, and they're just such an inspiration, any of those books would be a good read, Mm -hmm. especially for a grandma or a mother.
0: Perfect. And then you mentioned one earlier before we started recording by Novella Carpenter, who I'm going to reach out to and get on our podcast. So tell us about that.
1: It's called Farm City, The Education of an Urban Farmer. And I'm probably only a couple chapters into it, but, you know, I think I'm this hardcore urban in the city farmer, and she makes me look like I'm out in the county. She started her farm in Oakland. Her and her significant other were driving around trying to find a place to live. Long story short, she ended up in Oakland, I mean really in the city, and got a parcel of land That was right near her apartment, and she started to urban garden, I mean, with plants, with animals. I'm sure it's going to be a good read. Like I said, I only started it, but I think she would be very interesting to hear her story.
0: Perfect. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: I would say that gratitude is everything. Gratitude is an attitude, and to be grateful and thankful no matter where you're planted, whether it be in the city or the country, Just make the best of where you're at and you're there for a reason. And I do have another little note that goes back to our family here in the homestead. It's so important, and I believe this is even more important than anything else, is to take time with your elder family members, listen to their stories, write them down, and keep very good notes Like we've done with our house here. If I wouldn't have talked to my parents or my grandparents or my husband's parents about our place here, I wouldn't have any idea Mm -hmm. the significance of stories and how things get forgotten if you really don't take the time and listen.
0: Yeah, I'm going to add one more thing to that because my dad passed away five years ago and Mm -hmm. what I didn't get was a recording of his voice and thinking back, I can't remember what my dad sounded like. So, you know, thinking back, I would have had my dad just record a little something so I could remember that. I'd throw that in. Right. Very important. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Lynn.
1: Thank you so much, Greg, for having me.
0: You bet. So how do our listeners get a hold of you?
1: They can reach me at GroverFamilyHomestead at com.
0: Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Grover Family Homestead. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org,